guys, it's John Nelson, and you're listening to the Starting Block Podcast. Guys, if you're new to the show, I want to welcome you. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. I'm going to give you a breakdown of what we are all about. Now, guys, this is a show for complete athletic development. Our objective here is to give you the tools to win, whether you're the athlete, the parent, the coach. And that's going to cover a wide variety of topics. If you look at our, uh, you know, our, our list of guests and topics, and we cover everything from, uh, you know, this is actually our first live episode since Dr. Cruz came on. Uh, we cover everything from light to uh, nutrition to training to everything in between. So you're going to get all kinds of stuff with us. Um, but our show is a little bit uh, different than your standard podcast. We actually have multiple multiple episodes within the show. So the first episode you're going to hear is what today is, and that's a Q&A. That's a bi-weekly episode where myself and my co-host, Chris Scarborough. What's up, Chris? Good morning, guys. That is where Chris and I will take the questions that y'all submit to us. Chris, where can they submit those? Info at startingblockpodcast.com. Yeah. So those questions are related. Hey, it could be anything that you may have heard on one of our guest interviews. Uh, it can be training, rehab, nutrition related. You just submit them there and we'll tackle them in the Q&A. Um, the other biweekly episode is going to be your guest interview. And that's where we have colleagues from literally all across the globe come on. And, you know, they're going to share their stories of how they win, what they do with their clients, patients, you know, their their practices, theories, beliefs. And, and uh, holy shit, we had some amazing guests the last couple of weeks. Um, we really but uh, we got we got a bank of episodes too, and uh, I'm I'm excited to keep uh, releasing these because you're gonna like. You know, if you're a regular listener, you're really gonna like some of the episodes that uh, we're gonna be dropping here soon. But uh, yes, yeah, so that's our guest interview, and then the final episode you'll hear from us is uh, is the Friday Fire Fact. We don't do this one uh, on a regular basis. This is more just if I feel like I got something on my mind that I want to share that's related to the training or strength and conditioning fields or rehab field, and just kind of feel like I need to brain dump a little bit. That's about ten to twenty minutes of me giving you some just real talk about it. So. That's our episode uh, and show breakdown. Uh, we do have a fee. We ask you to pay your dues and share the show. If you get value out of this, please share it. Bring us a friend and help us grow this. That's all we ask. We're not running ads. We're not doing anything else like that. Just, you know, share the show, leave us a review. We appreciate it. So with that, let's go ahead and move into the Q&A. So what we got today, Chris? All right. Question number one, range of motion for a baseball player. I would assume just based on the way this question is asked, it's more along lines per pitcher but it could be anyone who throws. Uh, mm. Is passive range of motion important, and is it as important as active range of motion for a baseball player? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll start and say, like, I think we need to first recognize the difference between passive and active ranges of motion. So let's just uh, let's just look at external, you know, rotation in the shoulder. So, you know, commonly referred to as, you know, layback and throwing. Um, but, you know, it's basically arm at 90 and just rotating back. So external rotation passively would be like something that a coach or a therapist or somebody could could bring you into. So, like, I test external range of motion, like, in the, like, prone position where I have somebody laying on their stomach. And, like, I will actually, you know, take their arm or shoulder into that external rotation to see what they have. Um, as a side note, I do it, you know, in the prone position because it's very easy to get that extra range of motion by hyperextending the back, uh, the lower back. That's why I don't do it standing um, or or honestly, even like uh, in a supine position, like laying laying on your back with your you know, stomach up. Um, but anyways, right. passive is what, you know, I can put the joint into. Active is what they can control. And this goes into the teachings of like FRC and FRA type stuff. And 
that's a big – there's a – a lot of times there can be a huge gap there. So, you know, you, you see – a lot of pitchers, a lot of overhead. I don't want to say just pitchers. I mean, overhead athletes in general, swimmers. Um, I have a lot of swimmers here um, yep. at ELP, you know. Um, and so they're overhead athletes as well. And you see that, you know, they work on stretching and mobility and things like that. And it creates this passive range of motion. But the active, they don't have, meaning they can't actively control that range of motion. They can't take their arm to that end range, either in a one to one respect or like without compensating. Does that make sense, Chris? It does. It does. Yes. And, yeah. and you know, along that same line, javelin throwers, people, who yeah. play tennis, yeah. you know, yes. I mean, there's lots of overhead athletes. We're just using baseball as an example. Yeah. Because that's who asked the question. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, what, what the appropriate degree of external rotation is for layback. I, I don't know. And I don't really care. I'm just curious and want to know, okay, is it, you know, is it adequate? Does it match their movement patterns and do, can they control it one for one? So, you know, if we have a, a, a kid come in, I'll, again, I'll just stick with baseball. If we got a guy come in, he's a pitcher, and let's just say he's got adequate external rotation. So, you know, adequate would be basically, you know, we can passively take it, you know, roughly to the ear line, right? I mean, I think that's kind of the standard, isn't it, Chris? Yes, yes, yeah. correct. So, I mean, and that, that's average, right? Just for average, you know, washed up meatheads like myself. But, you know. Overhead athletes clearly need to have more. So, you know, if we if we're good, you know, if we don't even have just good passive, then we we have to naturally start like creating passive ranges of motion. So that's where we'll do things like progressive or regressive, you know, angular isometrics, where like it's almost like PNF contract release, you know, but then try to build the strength up there too, so the nervous system you know understands what's going on there. Mm-hmm. But let's just say they have the passive, and they can even get past their ear, but then I ask them to actually them do that themselves and you know one of the big things is you'll see you know like uh, like extension of the wrist like as they go up they're going to try to like extend the wrist or you know rotate the hand or something to compensate and that's where the problem arises like because if that happens in a test it's going to happen you know on the field and that's where i think you know as we've always talked about like movement you know, your mechanics are a byproduct of movement so if we have compensations there, then that's going to lead to compensations, you know, on the mound or in the pool, right? Right. You know, so, so we got to address that. And that I know that's something that I do spend some time on is trying to close that gap. And so I think naturally the next question would be how do you close that gap? <laughs> so that's where the FRC work comes in, FRC, FRA. So you basically have things like, you can go in-range liftoffs or in-range holds or in-range hovers or rotations. Like, you know what I'm talking about, Chris? Have you seen that yeah. type of stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it really moving in, in what that person's limits are. Mm-hmm. Creating whatever movements you can in the, in the, in the uh, extreme range, if you will, almost along the lines of an ISO extreme in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you could think of it that way. So <clears throat> like a, a good example would be like, I'll, uh, I'll get some yoga blocks. For example, I have a kid lay on the, lay on the floor and we'll take their arm through their external range of motion. I'll take them to their end range as far as they can go. And what we'll do is we'll block the arm there. And then after they're comfortable, we've sat there for a second, we'll count down like three, two, one, and I'll take a block out. And then they are forced to engage and hold that and they never can because they don't have that active control in that in range and just like any other strength protocol it will build up over time but like it's brutal when you take a joint to the in range and you don't have strength there 
it it's one of the hardest exercises you'll ever do. Like you're gonna cramp up, you're gonna get sore, and uh, it's uncomfortable. Like it's a deep like joint soreness too. Like it's hard to explain. Yeah. Um, but, well, anytime you have things, anytime you have range of motion limitations, you're gonna have weakness limitations on the opposite mm-hmm. side. Let's face mm-hmm. it. I mean, for example, you can't externally rotate a shoulder. You know, in this you know, in this particular example we're using, the internal the the internal rotators are, are what you're testing the range of motion of, right? You're testing external rotation, but the limiting factor from a tightness standpoint, if you will, is actually the internal rotators. The external rotators are weak mm-hmm. in that in that range. Well, um, if you're looking at it from a from like a tightness standpoint, yeah, but yeah. like. I'm not, I'm not even talking about tightness. I'm just saying, like, they just can't – the muscles don't activate at that end range. That's, right. what, that's what I was saying. Yeah, exactly. So they don't, they don't even have – like, their brain can't even – they don't even know where that joint is. Right. You know, we've, we've talked about that with Dr. J and Dr. Rob and, mm-hmm. you know, many others. I mean, it's like, I don't even know where my joint is here. I mean, this mm-hmm. is so new to me. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, it has to go beyond just you know, stretching something. It has to do, John, kind of like what you just said. You have to get the brain to realize, oh, I'm okay here. I have right. some strength here. Yes. Yeah. And then there's there's different progressions and regressions that you need to do to address this. You can't just, we can't just take a joint into the end range and then, you know, just train the absolute shit out of it. Like, we're gonna, you're going to blow it up. Like, it's got to be... It's got to be progressive because you're, you're working with the joint and we need, you know, obviously... You know, we've got to make sure that, you know, the best athletes are also the healthiest ones. So we got to stay healthy. So, you know, how do you do that? Like, if you follow any of the FRC, FRA, Ken Stretch stuff, I mean, they got all kinds of crazy stuff out there. And it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. Dr. Spina is brilliant. I, I love Dr. Spina. And, and Hunter is, <laughs> if anybody knows what I'm talking about, Hunter is absolutely a freak of nature. Um, I don't know his Instagram handle, but like, just type in Hunter FRC and it's, it's stupid the things this guy can do. But the point of that is, is you see all these crazy like liftoffs and like, you know, taking the body to these insane ranges of motion and, and controlling them. And so kind of the first step in that with me would be like utilizing cars to help, you know, bridge that gap. So cars is controlled articular rotations, fancy term for controlled joint rotations, just taking the joint through the biggest range of motion that you can without any compensation. Our guys and, and athletes and clients do cars, you know, before, after workouts. I know, um, we had Brad on, um, from, um, from elite athlete training systems up in Canada. Yeah. You know, he talked about using cars like in between lifts and stuff. Um, you know, and, and that, that's awesome. So we use cars to kind of keep things open and keep it moving. And then we'll go into, you know, depending on what they need, you know, strengthening, um, to close that one-to-one ratio, or if it, there actually is a tightness, like you said, Chris, we'll utilize what's called pales rails or progressive and regressive angular isometrics. And that's basically like a contract release type of method. And I think that's really important to talk about because, you know, how many times, Chris, like, have you had a, a, an athlete come to you where let's just say they had like, you know, shoulder tightness or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, they come in and, the, and mom or dad or kid is like, yeah, you know, doctor just said stretch it. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Happens a lot. <laughs> it's like every day. And oh, like, right. that's not the right answer. Like, you don't just stretch it. It doesn't work that way. That's not how the body operates. Like, you know. It's what has to happen is we have to identify like, okay, 
Is passive adequate? Then is active adequate? If passive is not adequate, all right, we have to get there. Use Pales Rails to get there. Now, do they have the active after the passive is there? If it's not, then that's when you train it. You don't just go randomly stretch, and that's where these problems have arisen because you've got guys doing just excessive amounts of band work all the time. Like arm care is the biggest, I don't know, arm care I feel like is the biggest craze of all time. Like, you know, don't get me wrong, arm care. I mean, I, I even tell our guys to do arm care too. I mean, I still think it's, some of it's important, but not to the level that, you know, kids do it these days. But I regress. Um, you know, I don't know. I even lost my train of thought now. I got all hyped up on arm care, and I totally have no idea where I was going with that. Um, but uh, I don't know where where the hell was I going? Um, well, we're we're just referring to you got to get passive. You got to get passive first, and you got to yeah. and then there. Then you got to you know use various techniques to then yeah get the body familiar. You can't just stretch it. You know, there's yeah. no just stretching. Yeah. It not work because your brain doesn't know where that joint is if all mm. you've done is passively stretch something and that's it your yep. brain doesn't know where that is it, it can't no. use that it actually is going to set you up for yeah. a bigger problem so yes yeah so you know that's a so if you're a coach out there trying to figure out like okay how much mobility work do my guys need you know what do i do this is a really good place to start like look at passive and then look at their active can they control that and is it really is it one-to-one or pretty dang close if it's not one-to-one it's got to you you've got to train that and you don't do that by doing more band external rotations that's not how it works right. you actually have to have to take the joint like specifically to that range of motion and train it there so here's like a really hard example of like not shoulder because I, I think shoulder you can get kind of da- it can get a little dangerous if you're not familiar with what you're doing so like a really interesting one is like like if you just sit on the floor Right. And I do a figure four. So like one leg is straight out and like one leg is, you know, like the foot's pulled up towards your knee, like almost like you're sitting Indian style. You know, Mm -hmm. that's probably politically not correct these days, but I don't really care. Um, (laughs) So like, all right. So one leg is straight and one leg is like sitting Indian style. Right. Now, if you lean all the way over, like basically trying to like, quote unquote, stretch your hamstring lean as far as you can and then try to lift that, you know, straight leg, you're not going to be able to do it. But if you back off about like five degrees, you know, or like two or three percent, whatever, then lift it, then you're training, you'll be able to lift it up. That's training in ranges of motion. And that's kind of similar to what I'm talking about a little bit. So um, that's kind of an interesting test to try to see kind of do you have control of your in ranges of motion? Yep. Good point. Yes. Yeah. That was good. That was a good question. I hope, I hope in my, all my rambling, I answered that question somewhat. (laughs) No, very good. Very good. By the way, Real, real quick note on, on that. We actually had a, an athlete uh, a year ago who ended up with a, a minor a minor shoulder injury uh, following arm care. <laughs> okay, arm care. Yeah. But we, you know, of, of course, with some of the testing, John, that, that you and I do, we actually found his body did not like it. It was doing, it wasn't doing external rotation with a band. It was doing too much yeah. external rotation with the band. His body did not like it. Yeah. And he, as a result, he tested weak after doing, like, he would actually test I'm not surprised, man. That's not knocking external rotation with a band. That's mm -mm. too much. That's like relying on it too much. Yeah, exactly. Or like the, the, like plyo work, like these guys are throwing weighted balls like crazy. And I had this conversation with one of my, one of my pitchers the other day. I've got, I've got a, I got a left-hander coming up and this, this kid's got some, you know, opportunity to do something big, but, 
one of the things that we were talking about was like he actually has like a like his bicep tendon was like enlarged a little bit and like we were sitting there talking about you know some things and it was like he i found out he was basically doing arm care and like you know plyo stuff with weighted balls like reverse throws just all day long and it's like and i think i've taken a lot of heat over the years and that's fine i don't mind and i as saying i'm, I'm against it even though i'm not against that stuff it's right. it's all about the capacity of the individual so it's like if you don't have that good passive range and you're sitting there throwing a weighted ball behind you because you saw some you know social influencer on instagram or tiktok doing it or driveline says do it what's happening is you're putting a ton of pressure on that shoulder capsule and it's going to create this inflammation and it's just it's not a good thing like and that's where people i think really need to take a step back especially parents who start getting their kids involved in things like arm care driveline stuff and don't get me wrong i'm not hating on driveline they're they're great they're very good at what they do but you have to identify is the range of motion there do we have control of it and then if we can answer those questions yes and yes then we can add in the things like you know, the plyo balls or, or what have you. Very good. Yes. So, yeah, All right. Stuff. All right. What's next? Question two. Uh, this is referring to a, a sprinter starting, uh, coming out of starting blocks. Toe drag or don't toe drag? <laughs> um. Uh, I'll just be real and say it's not really my area of expertise at all. Um, I am not a track guy. Not really my thing. So what are your thoughts? <laughs> and I'll just, okay. I'll sit back and listen and learn. All right. Well, very good. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> that, that's, that's a very good question. Um, and you will notice that, um, if you watch, especially a lot of elite sprinters, you will notice them as they're coming out of blocks. The first couple of steps, they will drag or nearly drag the toe along the ground. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, you know, Clearly, you want to make sure that foot stays close because you got to get it back down to the ground very quickly. But that's only part of the answer. I mean, that's it, yes, you do want to keep that foot close to the ground, for, so you know, very low recovery, so it'll be ready to get back on the ground so you can use it again. Um, but there's a little more to it than that. If you watch most you know, most people, um, even good runners, even people who run pretty fast, what you do is you'll notice that they tend to push too far behind their body. They push too far, especially when they're just getting started. Because, let's face it, we know how to push much better than we know how to flex. Okay, So as a result, they, if you push too far, the back foot's going to come up off the ground, and now you've got to make a big loop to get that foot back to the front. Right? The foot's got to come back to the front so you can use it again. Well, if you push too long, Foot comes up off the ground, and then you, you know you got no choice. You, you, your your foot's got a long way to go. So, so much of the toe drag, it's a powerful push, but it's not a long push. Okay, it's not a long push. It so let's let's picture it this way. So, I'm let's picture someone who has got their left foot in front, the front foot of a block, and their right foot in the back. They're their right foot is going to be the first leg. That's going to be the first leg to take a step, right? It's usually going to come in close to the ground, and it's going to land a little bit in front of the starting line. Okay, it's also going to be, in most cases, it's going to be a little bit wider than, than say, a regular running stance. That's good. Okay, that's a good thing. Um, 
What you don't want is this big looping motion. That person where you see that big looping motion in their leg before it moves forward has pushed too long. Okay? So speed is not just about how hard you push. It's about how quickly you can push it. <laughs> so the faster you run, chances are that per that person has put force into the ground, but they've done it very, very quickly. So, um, so to answer your question, you don't try to drag the toe. It's more the result of doing something else correctly. Okay, it's the result of something. It's not something you try to do. Um, so when we, you know. Guys, we don't we don't really like we just kind of briefly go over these before we start the show, just so we you know we don't pull what I did in the first question and completely lose our train of thought. <laughs> and it's like, but actually, I had to look into this a little bit because I'm, I'm admittedly this is not my area of expertise, and yep. you know, one of the things that I mentioned to you, Chris, was like to me it, it looks like toe drag. It, I mean, it is an intentional thing, like it's a technique type of deal. Mm. Would you agree or disagree with that? Um. It, it's. I mean, I think a lot of people have made it intentional. I. I don't agree with that process. I think you need to. Yes, keep the a low leg recovery. That doesn't necessarily mean the toe drags. However, if you do a short, a very powerful but short push, and then pull the leg forward, flex the leg forward the way you should, it ends. Up, that sometimes is what happens. So it's the result of doing something correct. Not something you intentionally try to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, but it's it's all about just getting out of the blocks as quickly as possible, right? That's the objective of the toe dragger. Why people you know talk about doing it. So, <clears throat> is it is it necessary? No, no. Okay. We've all seen people that run fast that don't necessarily drag the toe. So, who, who give me an example? Like, can you give me an example of somebody who? who does toe drag and somebody who doesn't toe drag? Well, many years ago, probably, I say many years ago, let's go back probably 15 years. It was actually labeled by some called the Jamaican toe drag. And I believe it was, um, I believe the first person I remember seeing do it was Asafa Powell. All right. So he's Jamaican and thus they named it that. Um, you know, that's not saying that only Jamaicans do it. In fact, a lot of people have kind of adopted that, that technique since that time, but a lot of, it was sort of made famous by a lot of the Jamaican sprinters. And so it, it like, once again, they're not sitting there trying to drag the toe. What they're doing is they're making their, they're, they're pushing really hard, but very, very fast. Then they're pull Once you push hard, you pull the leg through. Okay. I pushed hard against the block. I pull the leg through so I can get ready to push again. All right. If I, if I push too long, I'm not dragging that toe. It's making this big giant loop and it's going, it's going to be in the air way too long. So mm -hmm. it's the result of quick push, not long push, quick push, get the leg back to the front so we can push again. Right. So, so the objective is to, like I said, to recover in those first couple steps as quickly as possible. Right. Yes. Okay. Correct. So, but now, and I, I know you mentioned this, like my, my go to type of mind. You know, I, I could understand how. And so that's why I see it like as a technique type deal specifically like that makes sense to me. Now, that doesn't make sense as we, you know, start to, you know, reach, you know, 
like a max speed by any means, but like, right. you know, we talk about one of the things that, you know, we look at in movement is like the, in, is the ability to actually like rotate off the ball of the foot. And so, you know, you were saying that there's been people that, you know, don't like some of the, the go to principles because it's the exact opposite. Is that what you were saying? Or am I getting that confused? Well, what, what happens is if you just, I'm, I'm just going to refer to what you see with a lot of elite sprinters. Mm-hmm. If you're looking from the front, if you're watching an elite sprinter from the front, from a front view, they're running right at you. What you will tend to see is a huge, once they get that back leg coming out of the blocks, you'll see this massive internal rotation of the, of the hip. Okay, of the back leg as it's moving forward, you see this massive internal rotation as the thigh begins to come out of the blocks and now it's beginning to move back to the front of the body. Massive internal rotation, which leads to the opposite when it makes contact with the ground again. External rotation, and they land on the inside part of the foot. Now, that's only for the first couple of strides. You know, like you said, John, that's not how they're running the whole race. That's how right. they're running the first couple of strides. Now, you know, many years ago, they're like, that's inefficient. You know, you shouldn't be doing all this rotation. Well, here, here comes the problem. This is where, you know, kind of the Darien Bar really kind of got me thinking about this is, okay, efficient, not efficient, guess what? The fastest people in the world are doing this. And sure enough, if you go look at the fastest runners in the world, you see this. You see lots of side bending and torque coming out of blocks among the, the elite sprinters. They do not run in a straight line. It just doesn't happen. Um, coming again, coming out of blocks. We're not referring to top speed here. You see a lot of side bending. You see a lot of torque. You see a lot of rotation in the hip. Um, it just is not a straight line. You know, it just isn't. Um, analyze it any way you want, but you know, but the the way they do it is the way they do it, and you know that's almost inarguable. Um, again, Asafa Powell was an amazing starter. Watch him. <laughs> I mean, watch him. He's torquing all over the place. Usain Bolt. I mean, he is definitely not in the straight line, and yet a lot of people critique Usain Bolt, saying, you know, if he were to run straighter, he would be faster. He's the fastest man in the world. I mean, what else does he need to prove to you? Um, uh, Johan Blake, American uh, runners, Christian Coleman, probably the best starter ever. Um, Oh, and I hate that I'm I'm probably going to ruin this guy's name. Um, uh, Su Bing Chan, um, a Chinese sprinter ran the fastest 60 meters in a 100-meter race ever recorded. Okay, the fastest 60 meters ever recorded. He was in a 100-meter race. It was a 6.29. That's insane. Mm. <laughs> That's insanely fast. Yeah. Um, same thing. I mean, he's, he's not coming out in a straight line. I mean, they're not not out of box. Now, they, they straighten up it once they go, but they – but coming out of blocks, it's wider stances. It's, you know, a lot of hip rotation. It's, you know, heels staying close to the ground as they're, as they're driving their leg through. And well, let's uh, get into this, like, from, from another sport outside of track. Like, let's just think about, like, a 40-yard dash, you know, okay. or, you yeah. know, because, uh, I mean, they're not using blocks in a, in a 40, like in an NFL combine. Or, I mean, you know, like a running back coming out of the backfield. Like, I mean, is that something that's actually discussed or taught? Um, pro- probably when people are preparing for a combine or a pro day, I would say, yes, they probably yeah. are not necessarily, again, not, to- not dragging the toe necessarily, but, but a 
rapid and short, you know, push with the back leg and then, then get it back to the front, which sure. leads to a low heel recovery, which sometimes drags the toe. Okay. Sure. So once again, it goes back to what I initially said. You don't teach someone to drag the toe. It's the result of other things that someone is doing correctly in a sprint. Um, now, in, in a running back in a game, do you get into that? Well, no, because they're not even starting with their hand on the ground necessarily. Um, uh, a baseball player in a steal. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great thing. A lot of people think a good base stealer false steps. Mm-hmm. But I, I will, I'll disagree because what happens is if you look at a base stealer, they drop their weight onto their right leg. Okay, they drop okay, their left leg. Okay, they're stealing a base. Left leg is closer to first base. Right leg is closer to second base. Okay, so picture this in your mind. Their weight drops from their left leg onto their right. They pull their right leg underneath their body. Okay, but it it pretty much is always going to drag the ground because they've got to anchor that right foot. Okay, their hips are actually moving towards second, but their foot is actually pulling more underneath their body so they can create this powerful shin angle that they can accelerate from. They're basically creating starting blocks. (laughs) The podcast, yes, thank you. You know, shameless plug there. Um, They're creating starting blocks out of nothing. Hmm. So that makes sense. Like, I never really thought about it that way. Some people call it a false. It's not a false step. It's actually, in fact, I, that was a. That's what someone actually brought up to me earlier this week. They said, "Is that not a false step?" I was like, "I could see how people would call it that. How people would think it's a false step." But look where the hips are going. Always look where the hips are going. It's a matter of getting those hips moving your center of mass in a certain direction. That is speed. Okay, mm-hmm. it, it, moving your your center mass in a, in a certain direction quickly. <laughs> that is speed. Cool. Well, that, that's an interesting topic. I think it's, now that I have a little bit better understanding of it, like I, I think I could see, I can see the benefits of teaching teaching a toe drag, but I can see you know how it's 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 kind of irrelevant as well. But I don't know. That's interesting. I'm gonna have to think about that. I, I think we we probably bring that back up now now that I've got a better understanding of it. Um, hmm. I don't know. Something I've never really dug into. Like I said, I'm not really the track guy. That's not my field of expertise, but it's yep. a good question. I'm glad they sent that in. So yep. appreciate that. Cool. All right. Well, that's uh that's good stuff, guys. Well, we appreciate that. That's uh that's the show. That's we're going to wrap it up for today. Appreciate y'all listening. Uh, if you got value out of it, guys, share the show and I uh, appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Talk to you soon.